Well, I was reading some of, uh, you know, just kind of catching up with the business book world, looking at some of our, our internal materials. You know, you know how it is. You, you put your, your kids to bed late at night. Well, it feels like late at night, but really, if you didn't have kids, it would be like, you know, before normal dinner. time. Yeah. Right. So, so, and, 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 uh, and you see some interesting presentation that seems to be working out well to express the inherent, I don't know if it's inherent, the business value that you, the enterprise software vendor brings. And you do some more clicking and then you're searching around. And then next thing you know, you've forgotten to go get your, your tea and like, you know, your next glass of wine and everything. And you're sitting up there and it takes the dog coming up to you and really bothering you so she can go verify that you actually had cleaned up that bag of trash that she got into, but she's going to search for it anyways. And then, uh, and the next thing you know, you're like, it's time to record a podcast. And then my question is, I know you have looked at a lot of these things because there's just this flurry of like in a pre-sales thing, like sort of how do you work consultatively with the buyer to kind of not only like, I, you know, here, here's what I think all the, all this sort of like work fills into the way, the way this work takes form is like you sit down with them and you're figuring out like, what are your priorities? What is it you want to do? How does what we have to offer that you would give me money for the software that I have fit to enable that? Right. And in the pivotal world, it's basically like, you know, we help you write better software so that you can like, uh, run your business better with software. And there's also efficiencies of it being cloud stuff and it's more secure, like all those kind of things, all the, all the great value props. And you figure out how to map that to the, uh, the KPIs, the OKRs, whatever TLA of arguing that you should get your annual <laughs> budget is. I mean, your annual bonuses and budget. Uh, and so you do that mapping, which is fine. But, but, you know, I think, I think you probably have more experience with this concept and I'm just going to summarize all of this, everything, this morass I just went through uh, as a scorecard. Cause I think that's what they used to call it, right? Like that used to be, you would always make a scorecard, which is basically like a, let's say it's usually like four columns and the first column is an, is names of things. So it's three columns of data. And, and then down the first column are just sort of various attributes of just things that you would want. I don't even know what they are, but the, and then the next three columns, I don't know what you do with the third column, but basically the first column is before and the second column is after. And maybe the third column is just like ongoing scorecarding, right? And this is, this is your, your Harvey balls. It's always a good place. Anytime you have a column, throw in some Harvey Harvey balls. balls, Good stuff. I I like, I like those Harvey balls. And I think, I think you've got like, I think a scorecard is, um, there must be a name for this kind of thing, but it's sort of like a, a prime mover, a bootstrap thing where like the first instance of it is slightly different than the rest of the instances. It's kind of like an N plus one situation. I always like the metaphor of that, where the first one establishes a baseline and shows what your improvement is going to be, right? So this is kind of like a bigger deal of, of how you're going to get this first rung of doing things. And then I think subsequent versions of the scorecard are basically just like how you're doing, right? Like what's the current state of things? Maybe measured against an expected baseline of, of how things are operating. So I, I just went on a long footnote right there, uh, but... <laughs> Uh, maybe, you know, every now and then I try to read more David Foster Wallace and I think he has footnotes to footnotes, which, which I think brilliant. <laughs> I think, I think that's what you want to do right there. Uh, but, uh, my question, I have a two part question, Brandon. One, uh, the scorecard, 
is this is this purely a sales thing or is it like a real thing that you observe when you've been involved in 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 enterprise sales processes like does the scorecard live on beyond that so that's the first topic right is this purely a sales tool two when it, when i look at these things and when i look at like the general sort of enterprise sales motions that you have for big uh and by sales motion uh, i mean the dance that you go through and and usually the dance is highly choreographed and regularized and and things like that but it's the process that you go through to uh to show your value and get the sale and blah 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 uh it's it's making me realize i was just thinking about this tonight is like um i guess most enterprises don't already know what their metrics and needs and scorecards are because enterprise software people are always going in and completely revolutionizing, like with a new model, all, what all that stuff is. Like, like it seems like if you went in with a sale and you were like, "We're gonna make X Y Z process run better," whether that, whether that's custom software development, your supply chain stuff, I don't even know what. Like, one a manager in the the broad sense of that term as a corporate manager would sort of be aware of how things were going, what their progress was, and they could kind of intuitively be like, oh yeah, if you sped, sped up that process and made it more efficient, it would help us meet our goals. And yet so many scorecards, right? Like, like how do, how do we, the sellers of enterprise stuff get to fit into the score, get to pr- propose our scorecard instead of like us having to fit into their scorecard? So that those those are my two areas of inquiry. Yeah, well, I, I think you know, I think one way to think about it is again, like organizations are more like living, breathing things than it is something static. So in any situation, what I found is it's not so much that like a company doesn't have scorecards or something. It's like they have some set of metrics. Mm usually around their business right so that's that's usually the first thing right which is as as an enterprise when you're selling enterprise software sales you don't want to talk to the it department they don't have any right like you want you (laughs) want to get to the business yeah so there's like there usually is somebody who's like running you know just whatever whether it just be some type of uh, commodities or you know like paint like dupont if you go to dupont right they they know their business metrics usually like pretty well and they have a whole bunch of scorecards and usually a fairly complicated reporting system about Whatever it is they're trying to do, like you know, build new pain or get out new products, and and that's where they're always thinking, right? They're thinking that first. So when you and they're usually those metrics have, especially a company that's been successful, that has been kind of ingrained in the company almost to the point that they don't even need a scorecard anymore. They kind of just know they what just you know, know what I mean. It. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, they know it. So it's kind of like what you read so, about about switching over to lean. Like it seems really <laughs> weird at first, and then eventually you're just like, well, of course, and you just yeah. kind of intuitively think all that. So then you have. You kind of have that, like you either have the implicit business scorecard or an explicit one that they're actually measuring it to. But then, like any good business, right? They're probably thinking to themselves, like, well, how do we how do we make those numbers better? And those aren't going to be any kind of numbers that, unless you work there, you're probably not going to walk in and like totally understand, right? You have to take some time to get there. But as a vendor, right, you're then going to walk in. And you're going to be you know, an expert in an area they aren't, right? So in your case, like software delivery, right? And they'll they'll probably have some instance of like, yeah, we should be better at software delivery. And maybe they've gotten there for lots of reasons because they, they clearly see a need or they've been to conferences or it's just the new thing of the month, right? So you then as the vendor have to then 
you know, you're kind of, this is where you're like the whole enterprise selling comes from. It's like, you're not just pitching quote your products, you know, you're, if you're trying to do quote the awful word of solutions, but what you're trying to do is then give them some vocabulary to then yeah, say, okay, yeah. if we do these things and then they can start to take your scorecard, right. And then map it to like what they think are, is their uh, scorecard, which is their business outcomes. But this is where it gets, I think when you're on the customer side, you know, like I, you know, spend a lot of time in security and I, I certainly talk, you know, or, or follow the CISO world pretty well. And that's always like a good place to kind of look. It's like, yeah. you know, these CISOs fundamentally understand that they need to make their organization more secure, but they are just inundated with all the different vendors pitching all these different solutions to a variety of, of, of uh, security problems. And they all have different scorecards or dashboards, right? And so, and, th- and this is where it is. There's kind of a war. And that's really what those are is a way for the vendor to show their value. And the most compelling, you know, scorecard or that's both intuitive but also maybe provides data, you know, that's one way to win the deal. Um, but it can be really hard, right? Because I think, you know, think about as you as a vendor uh, or, or, yeah, I'm sorry, you as a customer taking all this in. It's like, well, how do you even know? Like, how do you even know which scorecards are the ones that are really most relevant. And that's really yeah. the dilemma, I think, for the customers. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I, so, well, it's, it's sort of like as, as a seller, you know, you could ask them. That's always a, uh, a handy thing, which, which I, I put that in a snarky way because it's not always easy to extract that out or uh, just kind of ask them for it. But I remember I was in like an EBC thing recently. And, uh, and I've, I've been through several of these little miniature sessions. And this one was particularly good where the actual, uh, I'll just say buyer and seller instead of like customer and vendor or, or whatever partner. That's a, that's a great term for someone who buys your stuff and vice versa. Uh, anyways, uh, so, so the buyer was basically like, Oh, here's my priorities for the year, right? Like this is, this is the lay of the land of what we have, what we want to do as a company. And these are like the initiatives that I have and the priorities going on. And it was, it was great. It was pretty like crystal clear. And it's like, yep, we fit into that thing. We don't do anything about virtual desktops and and like this thing over there and uh i don't know it was refreshing to have someone just be like here's what i want instead of now i've been in other sort of meetings where uh going back to joking about it the discussion is more like uh i need to run 5000 containers right or, or just like <laughs> just like a total like tools conversation uh which you know i don't know that's a whole other type of thing but it, you know it also like this kind of stuff also made me realize um you know, I often get envious of just like uh, product sales, like easy things of just like, I know exactly I want this tool and I just want to like buy it. And uh, that's what I want to do. And and we were talking about this a little bit. You know, uh, I think there was there was some news from their quarterly filing that like Atlassian is like, was it like a billion in revenue or near that or whatever? But soon, if not already, they'll have a billion dollars in revenue. And uh, I haven't, I haven't ever, I don't know if Atlassian has scorecards. I would have to imagine for their, maybe, I wonder if they call them strategic accounts, which is to say big ass fucking accounts. I wonder if the, uh, the strategic accounts get scorecards about how they're making tracking bugs more efficient and things like that. But, you know, it does seem like, I mean, Atlassian is the poster company of, uh, we don't have salespeople and we're a bottoms up sales motion. And, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's an interesting distinction of like, I need a bug tracking system versus I need to deliver 5% revenue growth. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and there's probably all sorts of different things flying around in there. 
Yeah, well, I think the pricing, I mean, a couple of things come into play, right? It's like, what do you want to charge for your software? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, like question one. And then, you know, two is sort of like the um, the ultimate buyer, right? Whereas, hey, we need some bug tracking stuff and it's not that expensive. It's very, you know what I mean? You don't normally have to have someone come on site and do a full sales pitch, right? And it's something that can, you know, it's kind of obvious, right? That, that And as long as the price is kind of reasonable, it's fairly easy for people to kind of skip past all of this stuff. They don't need to have someone come in and explain it. They don't need a scorecard. Now, I'll just give you like a, in a, a different thing, but kind of the same category is like there's this product, uh, AHA, right? Which is like- Is that is that a uh, real name or are you- Yeah, like, AHA, right? Okay. A, uh, okay. And so it's, uh, it's basically product roadmaps, right? So this is Whoa. sort of like, uh, so this is like if you have like you're a big company and you have lots of different software projects going on, Right. Well, then you need a roadmap. And so, like, you know, essentially, you know, you want something to roll all of this stuff up. So you kind of think of it as like ERP for like roadmaps. Well, now suddenly this has become a, a, and they will integrate with all these various systems. But now it's like it's not enough for them because like everyone will say something like, well, we have a roadmap. Right. And well, they actually come out with a whole methodology. Right. Because they're they're The pitch is basically that you don't do roadmaps correctly. And but it's not something necessarily everybody, you know, either wants or even thinks they need. So it's priced higher. Right. It's much more. It's complicated. It's, but all the technology probably underneath isn't necessarily any more uh, complicated. But uh, but that's sort of like where you and they've tried to focus in on like this idea that like you as an executive, you're just going to like log on and see all the roadmaps for like 10 different software products and it's oh going to give you what you need, right? That's kind yeah. of the pitch. And that's yeah. always something, I mean, you can always start a company that way. Like, hey, you Mr. Executive, you can just like log on at night and see where everything is and understand everything. Like uh -huh. everybody wants that. Of course it doesn't exist, right? The truth is like you have to be intimately familiar with like all these different products to really know what's going on. But like that doesn't sell any, you know, no one sells software that way. And so, uh, so anyway, so AHA is just a good example of like, much more complicated product, questionable value, but the way that you've kind of figured that out is then you like wrap it up in a methodology and then, you know, it just depends. Like, do people buy off on it or do they not buy off on it? But the result of this, I always believe, is then people taking screenshots of, of, of your software and putting it in PowerPoint slides. That, to me, it's always becomes uh, the, the, the final moment for a lot of enterprise software, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know and, and going to one of our favorite topics, it makes me wonder how all of this applies to like let's say in the broad community sense like like pitching kubernetes like is there a scorecard for that like are people like scorecarding that thing or is that like a different category of things and i guess, I guess as a historic analogy you could look at uh vmware as like a hypervisor of virtualization technology versus like the whole big 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 shebang i don't forget the word but you know the, you know, it's just like a sort of a technology thing. Although, although I don't, I mean, it, Kubernetes doesn't ever speak about business value, right? Like, I don't think that ever comes up, that kind of enterprise thing comes up. They're just more about like, uh, scale. What is, what is the value prop of Kubernetes, Brandon? Well, I think we've talked I about it just... for years and I couldn't really name it off the top of my head. Yeah, I would just say it's, you know, if you, have embraced containers, right? So kind uh -huh. of go like, I think draw the VMware analogy. Like VMware started out with like, with, you know, mostly QA people. Like, hey, this is just a lot easier to build a bunch of VMs and it's it's like under 20 grand, right? So people were buying it all the time and it was very easy to, to, to kind of deploy in a lab. So at that point, right, I don't think you had, you didn't have a massive VMware Salesforce coming in, right? It was mostly no bottoms cards. up. 
yeah, no scorecards. It was just like, hey, we can either buy 15 new servers or uh-huh. we can spend money on the software and we can just you know, virtualize them and test it, right? It was very easy to understand. Ba- I think, basically, you make your sa- sales based on a macro. You got a macro yeah, that's I mean, your salesperson. Very simple, right? So, uh, and so kind of go back, like, so let's, before we get to Kubernetes, right, go back and just say, like, well, containers, kind of the same kind of idea. It was like, well, we don't even have to pay anything. It's like, I can just put this in a container and it's great and I can run it wherever I want and I have to deal with all these dependencies. Uh-huh. And then Kubernetes is really answering the question of like, okay, well, what if you have a bunch of these things? How do I keep them up and running? How do I manage them, right? How do I orchestrate where they run? So that was sort of that missing layer, right? And so that, I think, is the business value was, I need a way to orchestrate con- containers, which was very apparent to anybody that you know started to get over you know whatever maybe twenty thirty a fairly low amount of containers. You qu- clearly were like, I want something to manage it. So now I think containers is in that middle layer, right, where it's like, okay, given what everybody wants to sell, right, and this is what we talk about so much on the show, it's like people are putting lots of stuff around Kubernetes to the point of like, it's sort of confusing at times what, what Kubernetes does and doesn't. But go back to the VMware analogy. That's sort of, that's very similar to like ESX and GSX. Remember all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. as it got more and more complicated because people wanted to do more and more with it. Now VMware kind of switched over and became very much an enterprise sale, right? You would go into the company and say, well, what are you doing this year? What are your projects? Like, how can we help you, right? And I think that is, if you will, Google, Amazon and the cloud vendors are really doing that part of it, right? It's like, okay, we can provide all of this infrastructure for you, but what do you want to do, right? And don't worry about it behind the scenes. We'll make sure that all this container stuff, including, including Kubernetes, works for you. Um, but it's sort of, again, I think it is one of those things. It's, it's like the transition always looks weird. It's like, well, do we need to talk to somebody? And some people don't, right? Somebody clearly knows what they need. To your point about earlier, it's like if I've already embraced containers, I know exactly what I need. I'm just going to get Kubernetes. If I don't really know or understand it, now I want an enterprise salesperson to come help me. Yeah. Huh. Huh. So it sounds like no business value conversations in container and Kubernetes world. Like there's no, no one, no one's really, it's, it's basically like an enabler at best. It's sort of like we used to have uh, clay pipes uh, and now we have metal pipes. Hopefully they're not lead pipes, but like well, there, there's an efficiency. Like, and what I mean to say is like this is a necessary thing for us to live as a business, and basically this is just a, a, a better way of doing it. But it's not like um, it's not going to help me like double my sales rate or like increase my NPS or anything right. like that. Like, there's no well, the business side doesn't care. I think, you know, I would love to hear your take because I think you're talking to lots of them for people. But like the conversations I most recently have had, the way that I believe this problem manifests itself is people will say something like, we've decided that we're moving to a set of microservices, right? Oh, yeah. They have some big application, right? And some of these are fairly large companies I've talked to recently. And I'll say, okay, I'll be like, well, like, why why are you doing that? Just And so what they'll say is, the business problem they're having is like they're starting they've they realize they're so big now and you know this is the classic monolith even if it's not a monolith it just means that like hey we're trying to do so many things that it is actually slowing us down because we have too many dependencies and it's not mm. clear right so people then start that conversation right they say okay we need to move to microservices and then that then so uh, and there's lots of ways to build microservices right and lots of people we could bring on and talk about it but that then i think is the opening the door to then say okay as we do this like what should we do should we put everything in a container should we put it on kubernetes should we just build it you know some other way right do we need to do that is there a different way that we can do it um and 
and most of the time, I think people are getting smart around just the you know just the old object oriented right like um, high cohesion low uh, coupling right it's like we have to decouple some stuff because it's just gotten too too complicated and I think yeah. that's the gateway into a conversation about containers which is a gateway into Kubernetes and then you know all the necessary infrastructure behind the scenes right right so so basically you got the uh, you got the legacy calcification problem right like but and and. But again, it's all just like like uh, like plumbing. You, you, basically, like we 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 put our metal tubes in, and uh, and then we forgot that you gotta like get a little like chimney sweep guy to like Mary Poppins his way into there and like clean out all the crud. And now they're all like crudded up, and we lost the maps. We don't have our UML diagrams of where all the piping is, so we keep breaking it. And now we can't put a new toilet in. Right. Like, and so essentially you're going to go in there and like, we've got a better way of, we got PVC pipes or something and we're going to have, we got to, my analogy is terrible. It's, <laughs> it's no pun intended or pun intended shitty. Uh, but so anyways, like it's essentially like we're still like fixing the plumbing, like, and the reason we're fixing the plumbing is because, and this is like basically all I talk about, is like we do need the capability to like do better software, which the business uses for something, right? And, you know, I could rattle off like three to five pivotal customers who like improve their business and generally and all that. But it's it's sort of like we're still like we're still talking about plumbing basically and not about like I'm going to stop using the analogy of toilets, but we're not talking about like what people do with that plumbing, right? Which, which is, I think in ERP, this, that connection might be a little easier because you're actually selling an application that is literally used to run parts of the business from accounting to supply chain to even just like selling stuff, uh, basically getting money. So it's kind of apparent that if you improve your ERP system, it directly affects and, and fixes up your business versus like there's this, there's this confusing layer. I, I, I don't know how this has turned into like a, a late night confessional of like Cote's confused about developer marketing. Uh, but anyways, there, there's this layer between let's say Kubernetes and like any, or even an application server, any sort of development technology. And above that is basically like, as we, as we are so fond of saying, Above that is people and culture, which is the real problem. Technology's always easy, uh, so to, so I hear. Uh, and yet we have all this legacy tech debt and everything, but I won't go down that rat hole. Anyways, uh, so then you got this layer of people and methodology, uh, and then you've got the business doing things. And it seems like that layer, like people don't pay for that people and culture methodology thing, but that seems like the actual thing that's like valuable. I don't know. I get very confused. Like where, where is, where is the point in the stack of like the business doing something better? Cause they've got better running software. Like, um, what would be an example? Uh, I don't know. Let's choose a very a simple example that people like me always know. Like I can buy a ticket online. That software is great. Right. Or or like when I go into KLM, uh, I can change my seat if I want to. And right there, I could spend ninety nine euros to upgrade to first class right, or business class. And like that software that does that and, and makes that all possible. Uh, but underneath it, like like did they make the case? I don't think KLM runs Kubernetes, but let's just pretend for the case. Like was someone like, 
let's sign that $5 million Kubernetes deal because we sure need to make it so you can buy business class seats. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's like a missing step. Like I think that's KLA is a good one. We'll just keep using that example is to say, okay, so you can go on there, you can make a reservation, right? But then there's a team that, that, that's probably doing like promotions. We'll just call them the upgrade team. And it's like, okay, so they were, they want to go out and basically build like, you know, some type of personalized upgrades with different offers. So they, they went out and said, okay, let's figure out how long this is going to take to do it. So what came back probably was like, well, we can do it, but it's going to take, let's say eight months. And people are like, well, why does it take so long? And so, well, they'll say like, well, it turns out we got to do this authentication thing into the account, right? And well, there's this authentication service, but it's it's kind of built inside this other thing, right? And so we got to ask this authentication team to make some changes for us um, before we can do it. And then there's this compliance angle, and it turns out, you know, what I mean, this idea that the yeah, yeah, that yeah. the change goes back. And so so those meetings are ongoing, right? Like so you're at the top of the the chain, right? And you're running KLM, and like you're hearing this, and there, and of course there's like a CTO, right? There's probably like a president CEO, like that's truly out front facing. But there's also these internal guys that are. It's like not only do we want to do this upgrade thing, but we got to do this other thing for the baggage handling, and we got this other idea for the gate agents. And so after you look at it for a while, it becomes apparent that, hey, that we're moving to like we're, there's too many dependencies, right? And this is where I think people then start to go to conferences and start, you know, eventually they find their way to that famous memo written by the Google engineers, like everything Google does is better than Amazon, except. Amazon figure out this API thing a long time ago, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's where they're coming from. And so then it was then it gets to a point that at some point that becomes like a business priority. People are like, we have to actually spend some time figuring out how to like come to some set of services people can use so that we can do all of these things faster. And then finally is then when they start to get into how they're gonna do it, is like potentially where containers and Kubernetes shows up. Mm. Um, so I think that's the conversation I see happening over and over. Yeah, yeah. It's it's to 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 cite it again. It's it seems like a lot like uh, like applying like lean manufacturing. Like like I've I've been reading this book uh, Lean Accounting, which I am not gonna put in my recommendations for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I sort of enjoy it because I'm, I'm and I don't mean this in a boastful way, but I'm I'm always curious about I don't know boring esoteric corporate stuff, uh, but. There's a big discussion in the front of the book that's basically like, all right, you're going to put lean in place and it's going to take it a long time for it to like show that it has good results. So a lot of lean projects get killed off because while you've made the system more efficient, right? Like containers make the system more efficient and blah, blah, blah. The actual business results like don't really materialize very quickly at all, right? So if you, uh, if you've got you like, you know, your lead time of, making circuit boards and you need like three less people to do it. And like, you've got less inventory on hand and like, you know, you got all the great lean manufacturing stuff. You've got better throughput and less errors and things are more efficient. Uh, but the problem is going to be like, if the business doesn't decide to do something with that extra capacity or, or I shouldn't say capacity, I'm going to use the word savings, which is not only monetary, but also the efficiency of the people. If the business doesn't do anything with that, then they think you failed, <laughs> right? So they either have to uh, fire people or reduce shifts so that you have less operating costs, or they have to like get the salespeople to go sell more stuff. They have to grow the business. Um, and this isn't exactly what they're saying, but it's sort of like you have to completely... 
uh, have the business side rethink about the technology of manufacturing, right? And from an accounting perspective, this makes sense because there's all these different ways of accounting for manufacturing and, you know, coming out with the number, did I do good or well? And they they have scorecards in this book. Boy, do they have scorecards. Uh, and it's basically like, so you've got your scorecard that shows over time, this is actually, lean is actually going to be a better way of manufacturing things because it's more efficient and blah, blah, blah. And so we will be able to make more money for all these reasons. But until, as we were talking about at the beginning, until you change over at kind of like a corporate, a business level, thinking about how do I even think this business runs, they're not going to see any results for it. And then I guess maybe, you know, as, as you're saying, building up from the container Kubernetes, whatever layer, the notion is uh, we currently we're deploying software and it's kind of slow and we can't add this by business class thing because we got to do security and we got to do GDRP and then just things take forever. And so I, as the business side, need to realize that like, oh, IT should move really fast. Like our software development stuff should move really fast. And I shouldn't really hear that someone else is holding this group back. And so therefore I need Kubernetes, I guess. Is that, is that, or yeah, I need microservices. I need microservices. And then that's going to, then, then how you do it. Yeah. Will probably yeah. lead you to some Kubernetes thing. But I think the conversation that sometimes doesn't happen is the, you know, we talked about K, uh, KLM, right. It's a good example of like an airline always doing things. And the thing that we picked, right. Was very much like revenue facing, like, you know, somebody yeah, yeah. can make more money, but you know, the other side exists a lot. Like I'll just pick, uh, two so- software uh, platforms that have been used a lot that are relatively old, like Remedy and Lotus Notes, right? You can basically build like some form of action requests, like mm. go in there and do it. And like, so of course, none of these things are microservices. They're very, they're usually very fragile. Like they just do this one thing really well. And um, if you're, you know, and it's like, there's usually oftentimes they're like internal systems, right? Like, Hey, this is how you request vacation or this is how you request a new laptop. And so there, right. You flip it around and say, everyone, you know, will probably complain about it cause they don't, you know, it's kind of hard to use, but you know, at the, at the same time, like converting all that to a microservice is, you know, kind of back to the question of like, well, who's going to use that? Like, does this change a lot? Does it matter? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. as long as this data gets into like a relational database somewhere is the job done. So um, like there's a place where it's like, yeah, it probably should just stay the same. You know, it doesn't, you know, it isn't necessarily adding any new value. The fact that somebody can like do like a, a command or integrate how asset tracking is done may not matter to your company at all. So that's where I think, you know, there's, always a little bit of um give and take around like does like are we having the right conversation to back to like you know your, your highest level business priority it's like do we even need to be talking about microservices because like does any of this really matter you know does it some um and and, and, the, and i think you know very, rarely have you ever seen where someone's just like this system is fine it's really old it's kind of you know at least you don't hear it said overtly where people are like yeah. it's fine we're not gonna they usually just leave it and everyone d- doesn't talk about it but sometimes that's that's the right move yeah yeah you know it- Maybe we should we should we should wrap this up for now. But it makes me think of two things. One, you know, in the strategy world, no, I mean, I think Porter still is is regarded as like pretty cool in in strategy thinking. That 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 is Michael Porter, and and if I remember, he's basically like uh, any any strategy a business has, and a strategy being what the business is going to do to make money, basically. Uh, you can reduce, you can reduce like all strategies down to one of two things. One, they have something unique 
that you can only go to them to buy, or two, they're cheaper. <laughs> right? <laughs> and there's a whole lot of other shit going on and a big wedge of five forces and things like that. But basically, it's just like either have something unique or sell it cheaper. And, and like it is, uh, I don't know how that fits into things, but it, it is kind of like that's basically what. I don't know what those are the two KPIs businesses are going after, mm-hmm. right? Like how can, how can you get me to have something more unique? Uh, or how can you have me do it cheaper? And part of cheaper might be like, do it faster and do it more efficiently, right? Like cheapness might be time. So like I could sell like a hundred dollar euro business upgrade, uh, but it's going to take me two years to get that to market versus like I right. can do it faster. And so it will be cheaper I, cheaper is the wrong thing, but like I'll be able to do it. I, I think speed and cheapness are a lot closer than uniqueness, because uh, you know Apple's not very fast at doing anything, right? They're they're actually pretty slow <laughs> at at a lot of stuff. Uh, but I don't know. And then and then the other thing uh, is basically, have I mentioned this before? I realized recently no one talks about bring your own device anymore. Like that's one of those mysterious like everyone brought it because everyone brought it. Yeah, everyone yeah. It, no iPhone. It's already it happened. I, I think I think there's some good like um postmortem's the wrong word. What what's the word for a success a postmortem of success? Post vitum? But like like there's there's like some interesting analysis to be done of like I think BYOD was a huge success that wasn't that big of a deal. You know what I mean? Like there was a lot of consternating over it. And then all of a sudden it was just like, no one talks about it anymore. Yeah. And so like, works. Every, everyone figured it out. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Of yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of figuring things out, if you've got this morass to use that word again, it's one of my favorite words of, uh, of, of, you know, stuff you got to keep up with your microservices. You're like, you're like, finally I've gotten Cote to spend 99 euros to upgrade to business class on a one hour flight. And you got all these. You got to manage all these things. What what's something that? Uh, how are people going to deal with that, Brandon? Well, I'm glad you asked, Cote, because our our friends at SolarWinds want you to know uh, <clears throat> about the tools they've designed for their DevOps platform. They include Pingdom, AppOptics, PaperTrail, and Logly. Today's recognized pillars of observability combine metrics, traces, and logs to enable DevOps teams to monitor system and application performance. But these capabilities provide only limited insight into application performance because they ignore the user's experience, a critical measure of application performance. Understanding if a system is slow or unavailable from an end user's perspective is crucial in today's digital world, even if the metrics are good and there's no alerts. Altogether, the combined functionality of Pingdom, AppOptics, PaperTrail, and Logly brings together real user monitoring, synthetic user monitoring, web and application metrics, distributed tracing events, aggregation, and log management to help proactively identify bottlenecks and accelerate troubleshooting. By bringing user experience metrics, traces, and logs together with an easy-to-use complementary toolkit, DevOps teams gain unmatched visibility into their cloud environment so they can seamlessly flow an alert or issue from one product into another to resolve issues quickly and get back to focusing on the more productive elements of their jobs. And did you know, over 275,000 customers worldwide and 499 of the Fortune 500 trust and rely on SolarWinds for their monitoring software. So to learn more, we want you to go visit solarwinds.com slash DevOps. And just like the conversation we were just having, it's like 
if you're building microservices and you want need some tools to figure out what's going on, you should go check out their entire portfolio. It's very easy. You sign up for any of those services, you try them out, and you really don't have to talk to anyone if you don't want to. You can just buy them online. That's what SolarWinds wants you to do. So we really appreciate their being a great sponsor. And again, go to solarwinds.com slash DevOps. And of course, tell them your friends at Software Defiant Talk sent you. And you know, I think we still have a standing offer. If you work at that one stand, the one loan company, Fortune number 500, if, if you, if you uh, get them to round that number up to 500, we'll ship you a brisket. That's <laughs> absolutely a brisket, right? For it. it is. It's funny. It's like, you know, it does, as uh, we were doing the ad read there, I just thought back to Solomon's like, really, I know everyone at Solomon's really all they want you guys, you know, I think we're, people always talk about sales reps and things like this. Pretty much everyone at Solomon's just wants you to go sign up and try their tools and, yeah. they, and decide for yourself. So do it. Business value. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's snowing here in Amsterdam, Brandon. And you being from New England, I thought you could give me some <laughs> tips. How, how do, what are some unexpected tips about dealing with, with snow long term that I should, uh, or, or if not snow, just like bone chilling cold? What do I what do I do about that? You got anything uh, for me? I think we've gone like I think we've already figured out the uh, we had a whole conversation about the long underwear or yes. uh, yeah. uh, the the flannel pants. I think that's that's number one. I think uh, you know number two I would just say is uh, just you just I I, I would say because in Texas it, it's so rare it's cold that you know you just stay inside right <laughs> for that period of time. <laughs> but but you could actually do a, quite a bit of stuff outside. Once yeah. you kind of like get over that hump of like, oh, just because it's like 30 degrees doesn't mean I can't do anything outside. So I think part of it is just conditioning yourself. And then a children, you know, you know, I, I find it, I consistently find it amazing like how children can just like go without any jacket or anything like that. So I've I at least in my house, like I just we've just adopted that, at least with my son. I'm like, fine, you don't want to wear a jacket go just go outside run around and like it'll be fine like life will be okay that's that's the biggest thing it's like you and your mom can fight about it if you want but i don't really care just go outside get out yeah. of here yeah yeah i think i think we've discovered my our son cormac doesn't need a jacket almost ever and then our daughter alejandra gotta have a jacket she will just, all the time yeah, yeah she'll she'll like i guess she'll do the opposite but equally negative of of a meltdown in the cold she'll just like she'll like turn into an icy terror if if she's too cold but yeah no that's good because that 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 confirms i was thinking that recently of like we just we just got to get out there you can't be holed up this whole time you got to go you got to go see life see i don't know what's the big is it like ice skating because i know the dutch usually have like phenomenal like speed skating is that like yeah, yeah, popular yeah. No, they're, they're, to- they're like... definitely into ice skating. That's that. In yeah. fact, in fact, our kids, uh, th- their school just has like ice skating as an activity that they go do. Now, now I heard that uh, maybe in the '90s was the last time. Like normally every year, I think they would have this tradition uh, where the canals and such would ice over, and people would like skate from from like the north, like I guess North Holland, all the way to the south or something. Um, I know the Netherlands it goes further north than Holland, but whatever. Uh, anyways, <laughs> so they they would uh, you know you could basically cross country ice skate, I guess. Uh, <clears throat> but someone was telling me that since the '90s, it hasn't been frozen hard enough to uh, to actually oh, do to that. actually do it. But yeah. yes, they're crazy well, about ice skating around here. 
I was going to say, embracing the, uh, I mean, you know, it's sort of the stating the obvious, but like, especially for children, I know when, when you're an adult, it does, at times it can be hard to pick up whatever new activities and new sports, you just don't have the time. But for kids, I think that's the biggest thing is just embracing the activities that like the region provides, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if you had small kids there, you know, like here in Texas, like ice skating is a novelty, like you have to like really hunt to find a place, whereas I'm sure obviously in Minnesota and the Netherlands, like everyone does it. So I think that's the biggest thing is just getting into the stuff. And then it's like, yeah, you're out there ice skating, you're, you know, you're keeping your body temperature up. It's super fun. So I don't know, that's the biggest thing I would do. Mm. Like here in Texas, you need to embrace swimming. People who are like, I don't swim. I'm like, obviously you haven't been here in the summer. There's not going to be much to do outside. <laughs> Hopefully you don't like <laughs> hot tubbing instead. <laughs> that's right. Well, I, I think I think the uh, I don't know. What do you, do you think? Do you think the consternating about open source has leveled off? Or are we are we on the good side of that bubble? I mean, I I, I know I know some some Oracle people were like bad mouthing as always, like you know, open source and things like that. But like I feel like I feel like we've gone a week without uh, you know myself and others included without anyone having an existential crisis about open source and commercializing it. Or or am I wrong? Have you seen other things? No, I think I think we have. I think it's 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 sort of everyone's falling back into their natural positions, right? Which I think are legacy vendors like Oracle, right? First to like you know, sh- yeah. Of course, they're going to take the position of like, ah, see, it was never true. And then there's a bunch of open source projects where nothing has changed. So they just continue to do well. And then there's a bunch of smaller companies that are, if you just if we put aside the open source, they're just they're trying to figure out their business model and how they can make money going forward. Mm-hmm. And it's that's. You know that handful of companies is like, yeah, that's a hard question, right? So it isn't. Uh, in fact, I think we read um, somebody was some open source. What was it? Confluent or one of them was, you know, was was uh, you know open source based, right? And was doing really well. So I think sometimes like it's maybe a more localized problem than we think. Like not every business is going to work, and sometimes those businesses are just going to have to try lots of different things to see if they work, and they may it may or may not be helpful for them. Yeah. Them. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, that, it, it's too bad Matt Ray's not here because he could he could do our uh, our uh, patented well known segment. Matt Ray, explain Kafka to me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it it is like I, you know I've noticed it's uh, it's extremely pop. I mean that's what Confluent does, right? They're the yeah. as, as they used to say. What company was it where they're like we're the Kafka people or like or like they? Anyways, uh, they wouldn't say Kafka, obviously. But it does seem like uh, I was talking to some developers recently, some developer types, and I was like, I haven't developed software since 2006. So let's say, let's say I'm going to go in there and uh, I'm going to start doing an app, just total greenfield. Like, like what is my stack going to be? Like, what am I going to go for? Right? Like, am I going to use like Rust or like JavaScript or Java or or whatever? Am I just going to like immediately get MySQL? Like, what am I doing here? And um, you know, after some uh, some cajoling to kind of like get my confusing point across and eating some delicious bone marrow, we were at a little French cafe. Uh, they were basically just like, "Yeah, I don't know. You're going to use like Java and MySQL, <laughs> and and then you know, there's more exotic things like, and then if you need to do some eventing, you'll bring Kafka in. But it seems like that 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 thing comes up all the time, which is uh, you know an interesting thing. Back to the scorecarding of like, I wonder. I wonder how they're doing if they are doing like their big sales, right? Like you need, like I bet they have a good IoT angle, right? Like the business side wants to do Internet of Things stuff, or you want to do some sort of industrialized stuff with a lot of data points going into there, which will not scale very well. If they're probably like all the rest of us, they're like, 
it won't scale. You'll have to pay Oracle a lot of money to scale that up, and that probably doesn't work for you. And then, uh, and then, boom, you've got some like business value of I think of putting some Kafka thing in place because then you can have these new types of business models with lots of data flying around and doing things. But again, there's no Matt Ray, so I can't uh, I, so I can't Andy that. Rooney him into. Uh, well, maybe we could skip across the the Matt Ray side and just say he would say something like it's really complicated, but it's getting easier. And I think maybe that's the question for this company, uh, Confluent, right? Is they've done so well, but History has shown that this kind of technology tends to become a commodity fairly rapidly, right? Mm-hmm. So so if you're just like an outsider looking in, you're like, okay, um, what's this going to look like in five years? Like kind of the, the NoSQL and uh, the Hadoop, right? We kind of saw that, like those companies whose names just escaped me, right? You know, they they kind of like, you know, two startups spring up, then they start buying each other, and then it's just like it just becomes kind of a normal course of business. So back to your thing about are you really different, you know, to your your Porter strategy? Are you a lot? Are you a lot cheaper? And it's like, well, this is a business that, you know, tends to like trend where like everyone has the same features and everyone becomes the same cost pretty quick. Yeah, man, and and just like, god damn it, how do you make money off of something that's free, Brandon? That that's <laughs> like that's going to be like on my tombstone. Died not understanding how to make money off of something that's free. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's going to be terrible. Well, I think that, but I, I mean, we have seen it now. You know, it's kind of back to last week's discussion. But like the way you make money is you just host this as a cloud, you know, as a yeah, as a SaaS based thing. And there's only going to there's you know there's probably going to be for only four or five companies that ultimately reap most of the profits, right? That's I think that's the frustration happening in the software company in the software market, right? It's like it used to be everyone can sell enterprise software and make some money and get some licenses. But now it's, you know, the thing that's most obvious is like, I don't want to host it. I don't want to deal with it. You do that. And there's, you know, four or five places that most of that money's going. So that's, that's what we're kind of seeing. This next few years is going to be the same, same conversation over and over. Yeah. Yeah, it's similar to like the outsourcing thing. Like I saw, I guess IBM had their quarterly call, so they had a couple of announcements of like gargantuan. I think it was outsourcing deals. It's it's a little difficult to tell, but like they got a big uh, French bank BNP signed up for like I don't know a half a billion dollar, probably multi year thing, and Vodafone for let's call it a quarter or, or a third <laughs> of of a billion dollars. And uh, yeah, I mean it must it must be a similar take of like I don't want to run that. <laughs> <laughs> but which which is a whole other angle of things and 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 like it is uh i mean i mean i guess that is an interesting that's that's been for what year is this maybe for 20 years or so the way that ibm sort of monetizes free i mean it's not really free but monetizes software is and you alluded to this earlier the solution sale right like the the big old not only solution sale but actual like outsourcing to them to run everything for you which means you sort of just have like this library of software uh, that you can use, and and I would imagine there's a much easier line between like this thing that's otherwise free is valuable, just as with public cloud because we're running it and doing something with it, uh, but because it's like actually running, whether it's in an outsourcing deal or in public cloud, we see the inherent value of it, and we want to pay for the whole thing versus just paying for the thing that's free or whatever. But apparently, yeah, I mean, I, giant outsourcing deals still a thing. Yeah, and I think this, you know, I I don't know what the rate. There's some economic word for it, but you know, like, you know, so much of software, at least you know, software as we've thought about it for is is this zero marginal cost. So like, there's this kind of this always this human nature is like, why should I pay for something that essentially is zero? Like versus like buying a cup of coffee, right? Which is 
maybe it's $5, maybe it's $3, but like, you know, again, like human nature is like, you see that the cup of coffee costs money, right? You're getting yeah. something, right? And um, so much of software, you know, at least kind of traditional software is like, you know, you kind of always just feel like you're getting ripped off. It's like, wait a minute, like, why am I paying for this if it's if there's no additional cost to it? But um, both outsourcing and hosting kind of flip that on the head. It's like, oh yeah, like yeah, if I wanted to keep my own server up in a data center or I had to maintain this piece of software, like I get it. I get the fact that that costs money. So it's just like I just think it's something back to human nature. It's much easier to accept that kind of sale than it is like, well, yeah, I mean, you should just, doesn't matter that everybody has Windows and it's the same version, you should pay the same price, right? There's, you know, there's always something about the human nature that it's hard to get over that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was from Microsoft that, like, said this a long time ago, but there was an old joke of, like, the uh, the very first copy of Windows cost $2 billion, and right. every the second copy costs nothing. <laughs> yeah, and I think right. that's used in pharmaceutical, right? Like, yeah, like exactly. Drugs. Like people say the same thing over and over, and it's like, yeah. So, so I mean, when you move it to hosting, it's just like, yeah, like okay, I get it. I I see what I'm paying for. You got you got you selling things uh, rated. Well, uh, you know, so Travis CI that was hosted, right? Or I shouldn't say was. They're not dead, <laughs> but that that that's a that, that's that's a I, I'd forgotten about them, but that's a hosted uh, CI CD pipeline, and like. Of all places, like as I was kind of, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, not emoting or the other word that's kind of dirty, but as I was saying, exclaiming, uh, like Idea bought them, which I hadn't like checked in a long time. My brother-in-law long ago worked at Idea when they were just like a little database company working out of like a big uh, Victorian house in downtown. There's no downtown of Houston, but in Houston. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I forgot about this, but Idea has like Embarcadero and like a whole slew of other stuff. So they got them. They're like a, they're like a tiny like I don't know if Microfocus is the right word, but like they're a tiny little development like PE shop. Tiny compared to other large companies, but it's uh, interesting. Like they they've sucked in this uh, CI/CD tool, but like I said, I, I haven't seen Travis around in a long time. But there it is moving to yeah well i think this is you know as we talked about with all the private equity firms right you know you you relieve the company of the strategy tax right it becomes something that is managed with much more realistic expectations probably has a bunch of customers that are using it and it's just like i don't know it's kind of like a good natural end to for a lot of software projects so you know it's kind of for those guys i'd say congratulations right like mission accomplished yeah embarcadero i feel i feel like they were selling developer tools back when i was a kid and then, and then, oh yeah, they also have they also have Cincha, I think. You remember those guys? That was a fun that company. I, that I do not remember. I remember Barcadero very well, though. So, uh, yeah, I wonder. You know, I wonder if the IntelliJ people are just like are just like uh, thirty seven signalizing it. Like they're just like, ah, I don't want to be bought. We want to be independent because, like, I feel like IntelliJ is like the last remaining like developer tool that people the developers pay for. Right, like so many developers use IntelliJ, and I am pretty sure it's not free, but surely people have offered to buy them and uh, you know stick them in some PE thing. I don't know. That'd be an interesting case because you know, you know what you would do on that case is if if you were wise, uh, which is to say, you thought like me. Clearly, uh, you know you can figure out the consequence of that logic. Uh, but like you would say, like I'm pretty sure we're going to destroy the culture of IntelliJ. Like how will we keep up the, uh, the brand that they have and all that. But I mean, that seems like a natural thing to fold into, uh, 
some bigger organization to remove, as you say, what is a strategy tax? I forget what the definition of that is. Is that is that aggregated platform economics? Well, I just think of it as just if you're a standalone company that is going to promise growth, right? That's your underlying methods. Like, hey, mm-hmm. we're going to build something new. It's like, well, you have to come up with a strategy that provides some belief that like you're going to grow whatever, 200% a year because uh, you've taken money from a venture capitalist. You're essentially promising that. Now, when you are bought by a private equity firm and they're like, okay, our goal here is to essentially run this in a profitable way and we don't want to we don't expect you to grow 200%. Like they're, they're relieving you of that, right? Of the vision and the strategy. It's like, okay, like, you know, we don't, we don't have to play that game anymore. What we have to do is service our current customers, some incremental enhancements and, you know, and, and just manage the business. Um, which is usually the, you know, the, uh, not the position of most startups. It's always like, we're going to grow like a hockey stick. And you're like, okay, well, good luck with that. I wonder if like companies focused more on like my simplistic understanding of like shareholding, which is to say I get to share in the profits, <laughs> which is not exactly, but like, you know, I get a, I get a better like dividend or something like kind of, kind of like a VC gets a cash out at some point. And then, and then, you know, people in general would appreciate companies that were just cash cows more. They would just be like, yeah. I, I would love it if this company like didn't focus on being innovative and just like reaped all the money because then I get some of that money as a shareholder. And then therefore the price of their share goes up and I might eventually you're going to like starve it out and the stock's not going to be worth anything because there's no more money in it. But it uh, yeah, that, that, that strategy tax of like always having to uh, I guess always having to try trying is exhausting. Like it might be better just to profit instead of trying. Well, but I think this just goes back to, you know, back to your 37 signals guys. Like it just depends on like where the original money comes from. If you take it from a venture venture capitalist, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're explicitly buying into this, you know, huge valuation, right? If you fund it yourself, right, you're usually just like, Hey, can I make enough money to support my lifestyle? And there's just not that much in between, right? There isn't a, other than private equity who is like, after you've proven it and sort of like the growth is kind of it's understood you're not going to grow we'll buy you but there isn't somebody like a if you will like something in between that who's like no mm. right from the beginning i'm just going to invest in you know businesses that are just focused in on making like reasonable profits because because the the risk there is too great right if you just go to somebody and say like, hey i'm just going to create a company that's going to make a couple million dollars probably the risk of you doing that versus the risk of you building a company that's worth hundreds of millions is the same so that's, you know, that's always the dilemma, I think, for any new company. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the need for capital to do something useful with its life, I think, causes a lot of problems. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. It's very annoying. You know, it's, money should just sort of, like, chill the fuck out and, and just, like, <laughs> relax and instead of causing the, so, much, so many problems. Does, does and I will it... say, I was just booting up just to go back on your thing. It's like... Uh, cause I've been using IntelliJ and I was just double checking here. It's like, yeah, yeah, there's a free version. At least I, I'm not bumped up against any, uh, mm, okay. um, maybe for I mean, individual use or something. I, I, don't, I don't know. know. Let's hope so. I haven't, they haven't made me enter a license. I haven't paid anybody. I was just looking at them, clicking around here. It's like, yeah, so keep it up IntelliJ. Yeah. Um, you didn't have to like, just, uh, you didn't have to start a license server. No, I did not have to do anything. I think it just though, but would you, uh, I don't know, at least when I was doing, it's like when you wanted to build anything in Java, this seemed to be the only really legitimately good way to do it. Like, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. Eclipse. Oof. I don't know. I think that thing 
that thing is not doing so well. So, yeah. uh, so maybe that's in Jello J's wake. We're the only way you can really get anything done in Java. So yeah. as long as that's the case, they'll just stay with it. Well, li- listen, listen, sometimes you're developing software and sometimes you're the people who have to run that software. And you want to know, we, you know, we had a discussion over in the Slack channel about like how to, how to, uh, is there any training programs for sysadmins and like getting them better at things? And collectively us over there, we're like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, one of the, one of the ways you can figure out what's going on in, in, in the exciting space of operations is you go over and listen to Arrested DevOps. It's, it's a good podcast. I've listened to it for many years. I think I've been on it a couple of times. I, you know, this, I was on a, uh, an episode at, uh, at DevOps Days Amsterdam, uh, where we were ta- I think we were talking about like speaking at conferences. And, and that, that, uh, being there was valuable for me because, uh, one of the people who was there who helped run DevOps Days, they were talking about, you know, submitting to things. And they just kind of offhandedly say, said that I like, I submit a lot of talks. And I was thinking like, how does this one person know that I submit a lot of talks, which got me concerned that maybe I submit too many talks. So see, it's not only operation stuff, but you also learn about the overall community of things going on there. So there's a great set of hosts there. They do interviews sometimes. Sometimes they do little news wraps-ups. But chances are, if you uh, if you like this show, you'll enjoy uh, Arrested DevOps. So if you just go to uh, ArrestedDevOps.com, which is, in case my late-night Americanism is making that's confusing, that's arrested. Like either you're stopped somewhere or you're about to go to jail because the cops arrested you. And DevOps is spelled the usual way. Uh, but you just go to ArrestedDevOps.com or wherever you uh, get your, your ear hole stuff, and uh, you should start listening to that. It's a good podcast. So my daughter has woken up and walked down here. I think I can hold her at bay for us to wrap up the show, but we'll see. She might be this episode's special guest star. Uh, can, you want to sit in my lap as long as you're quiet? Make sure your elf doesn't talk. All right. Well... <laughs> she was cute she wanted to you know buddy the elf comes and visits make sure that you're fine during christmas it's not buddy what's the name of that little elf that comes elf on the shelf marcus yeah i forgot his name elf on the shelf and and this year she said she wanted her own elf so uh, so so that the elf on the shelf could go back uh you know back to the north pole we got her a replica a a stuffed one i like it so there's a speaking of DevOps days, there's a lot of conferences going on. We have a discount code. Now, hopefully you're planning out what you're going to do in August because August 6th and 7th, <laughs> we got DevOps days, Minneapolis coming out. And as always, they've given us a, a discount code you can use. Now it's a, that's a great event that they put on lots of the arrested DevOps people there, but it's always a, a fine event gets better every year. It's, it's one of the better ones to go to. So you should go check that out. DevOps days, uh, Minneapolis or MSP if you're into airport codes. And if you, if you register, it's uh, plenty of time to set that time aside right now. But if you use the code SDT2019, you'll get, I think, like $50 off pre-tax. Um, anyhow, also, uh, I'm going to be going to a lot of, uh, we have these things called Spring One Tours. They're like little multi-day conferences. They're not that expensive to go to. I think they're like $100. There's a bunch of discount codes in the uh, the show notes if you want to get $50 off of them. But I'm gonna be next week. I'm gonna be uh, in Charlotte at one, and uh, all my colleague, my people on my team, not all of them, most of them will be there going over Spring and Kubernetes and kind of like a lot of the stuff we were talking about earlier uh, about scorecarding. And then a couple weeks after that, I'll be at St. Louis. But the more important thing is that if you go to uh, springonetour.io, you can see the sort of like thirty or forty places that will be. 
it's 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 a fun little event. You can come out. We have a new format this year. We're instead of open spaces, we have sort of like uh, we call it pivotal conversations, where we Ooh. we uh, uh, we kind of we have some set topics, but we come up with topics and then. Uh, some people like volunteer to lead the conversation versus like letting an organic conversation happen. And like the last one I was at in uh, Toronto, we talked about Kubernetes and Pivotal Cloud Foundry. And uh, I surprised myself with the ability to actually say something and diagram stuff. It was amazing. I, I uh, every now and then I know what I'm talking about. But you should go check that out. Come come see that tour. And uh, and if you go to the show notes at uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 163, you can find links to all of that, plus all the other things that we mentioned. Do we have any uh, administrative stuff to go over this episode, Brandon? Well, of course, if you want a sticker, you can just email me your postal address at uh, stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and we can send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And if you are a real go-getter, you can write us a review on iTunes and uh, send me an email, same place, stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and let me know you didn't. I'll send you a free t-shirt as long as you are large or extra large and you like gray or black. And, uh, of course, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week I wanted to uh, thank, uh, you know, I, I'm assume his name is uh, C.D. Thompson, even though it's Thompson 1. Anyway, he left us a nice review in iTunes. In fact, you know, Kote, I'm going to go back in time here. It says He says that he's been listening to Kote since Drunk and Retired Podcast, mm. and he's glad the prof- his professional interests have trended parallel to yours, so he still has time to uh, uh, drink from the uh, humor faucet, as he calls, uh, humor calls it. Faucet. And he even says, that's right, he even likes to say, he says, it's nice to see uh, he's found a couple co-hosts that can keep it fresh. So looking forward to a long SDT run. So CD Thompson one, we are looking for a long run as well. And we appreciate you writing that review. Oh, that's, that is, that is sweet of them. It's always fine, fun to find a, uh, a listener from the old days. You know, as, as I've proven since then, my motto for uh, drunk and retired was you can always have one of those. And, and I think, uh, I think it's a good, good way to guide your life. Gives you a good long-term vision and, uh, uh, a short-term remediation. Well, uh, this week, uh, I, I have, I have a couple of simple, I had a last minute recommendation that, that I, uh, snuck in based on hanging out, but what, what do you have to recommend? Well, I actually saw, uh, one of the articles we didn't talk about, but there was this, uh, this guy that wrote an article about, I guess, Malaysia wanting their money back from oh, yes. uh, Goldman Sachs. But <clears throat> I read this book or listened to this book, Billion Dollar Whale. I think it did it over the Christmas holiday. That is just an incredible tale of how uh, this guy in Malaysia essentially started, like I guess you'd call it like an emerging f- like uh, investment fund using yeah, like, yeah. the Malaysian government's money. So- and then sovereign and, and wealth how fund. He, Sovereign wealth. There you go. And how he uh, then essentially manipulated banks around the world into uh, helping him raise all this money and sell all these bonds. So uh, that article, <laughs> you know, I didn't think that article was actually super good, but it reminded me of the book because he, there, uh, what you kind of get in the book is just like the like when you get to a certain amount of wealth, it's kind of like laws, like everything sort of. I guess when you get countries involved in billions of dollars, it's almost like the regular laws don't apply. It just becomes this like you're in this weird gray zone about like who's raising money and what happens. So it's an incredible tale. You should, I mean, 
uh, I buy is like a $250 million yacht. There's like models. There's, uh, the, the Snapchat, uh, founders, Evan Spiegel's wife is involved. I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> the movie, uh, uh, the movie that was starring, uh, Leo DiCaprio, um, what was the one about, about the guy that a uh, Wolf of Wall Street, uh-huh. Wolf of Wall Street was essentially funded by this guy, which is funny because Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> is a tale of, uh, essentially fraud and it was, you know, essentially funded through a different version of fraud. And Leo DiCaprio has to give back like these paintings he got. So I don't know. I mean, like you just can't believe it's like all true. So it's like money, sex, movies, finance, craziness. So it's a fun read if you're looking for something to uh, to check out. Mm. Yeah. So that article you mentioned, I, I would uh, I would hardly recommend the content universe of this uh, this guy Matt Levine. He has a Bloomberg column. I think he writes like. He writes like a very impressive column several times a week and impressive in the sense of like uh, I'm in awe at his ability to like write that much in a good way several times a week. But yeah, he he uh, he has a very good style of, of writing this stuff. And uh, I think I think he's worth like you can subscribe to the newsletter. They just send out the column. It's uh, it's always you can skim over the boring stuff. He talks about like CDOs and other things. But as an example, uh if I if it's this article, he he has this great narrative where like so let's and he he has this tone. Let's say you're a bank. I don't know Goldman. He's not quite that snarky, but he's like Goldman's in this weird position where the previous Malaysian government paid them money to do all these kind of like shady deals, and I, I'm just I have no idea if that's true. It's sort of what he's saying, and now there's a new Malaysian government, and the new Malaysian government is telling Goldman that they want their money back because they did bad deals. And then just think of yourself in Goldman's shoes. You're like, yeah, but the other government said it was totally cool. So what am I supposed <laughs> to do? And it it is like, so. So Matt Levine's always coming up with these interesting little quandaries. Like he had another good mm-hmm. one. Uh, his most recent one was about um, I don't know things like Robinhood, like these pocket shareholding apps. And and it was it it was a nice write up. But basically, it was a whole write up, which the point was basically like, look. If you're like in the grocery store lane and you're using your phone to do share stock trades, don't do that. Like <laughs> that's a bad idea. <laughs> but he's now. He, I think it's. I do got. I do have to. Uh, I do want to offer. Like I'll just give you my uh, my Matt Levine take. The other side of it would be like you know about that the bank thing. It would be like well. Um, say you're raising billions of dollars and there's kind of like these like things about like know your customer, like know who you're giving it to and like generally make sure that like the reason they gave you're giving it to somebody is the reason they're using it. It's like, seems reasonable if I hire you that, and you tell me that this money's being used for like a good purpose that like you, you kind of like know that's happening and don't like, easily look the other way yeah <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. billions of dollars because uh, i think as he says it here he's like he says he's like uh says something about like you know a disclaimer i i like i worked at goldman sachs and i like them uh, and I, I generally think they do a good job i'm like well i don't know i mean there's definitely in this book there's some people a lots of people looking the other way so I, yeah that was uh yeah. that's what really caught my eye about it just because this is like a you know, of course, this book's several hundred pages and you get a lot of details. So I don't know. I'd like for him to read it and come back to me and be like, huh, yeah, we did everything we could. You know, I don't know. It didn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyways, you should sign up for his newsletter. It's good stuff. So my recommendation, I don't know how to pronounce this. Someone can probably tell us, but there's this uh, Japanese discount clothier. Is that is that a word called Uniqlo? U-N-I-Q-L-O. 
and I don't know. There's sort of, there's an interesting brand that they have going there. Anyways, I w- when I was in Toronto, I went around there, and they had these, uh, speaking of long johns, they had these long johns called, it's all in caps, so I assume it's heat tech uh like like thing and and they're nice like i bought several of the shirts they were they were on sale like half off uh and when i bought them they said i couldn't return them i wasn't sure if that was because they were on sale or because they're basically underwear but who knows uh but i bought several (laughs) of them and like i i haven't had to buy long johns being a texan for a long time so you know i'm used to the ones that are like the waffle pattern that like the marvel man might wear or something uh and but these ones are all like you know fancy and they're basically they're they're quite thin and they're as soft as like a good conference t-shirt or one of these shirts you'd get from one of our sponsors and they're great they're nice and and they're also like are a gray color so people you can't really tell that they're like you know long johns but uh they've been keeping me warm so that's what i recommend the uniqlo heat tech long john things they come in various grades but uh i would just get i don't know the lowest grade it'll be fine and then finally that last minute recommendation. I don't know that much about it, but uh, when 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 we were waiting to put the kids to sleep, you know, we have uh, we've got Dutch cable TV over here, so you get some interesting things. Uh, and one of them is apparently there's this show from from uh, the Czech Republic that's got these two Czech ladies called Herbarium, and basically it's like a cooking show, but they go through and they find like you know various uses for herbs and things. Which on its own wouldn't be that interesting, but what makes it really choice is it's dubbed over in English, and 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 but but the people doing it like they as you would expect they do this kind of um, uh, since my daughter's here you can translate this into my usual sailor language they do this uh, half posterior uh, attempt at uh, dubbing it so there's like a little bit of like um, acting in it. Uh, but then it, it's especially funny, like, you know, the kind of normal prattle and talk over you would have with people when it's dubbed in English sounds sounds really weird. And then there's just funny random lines like they're they're arguing over a spoon and she's like, oh, that's Jim's spatula. And uh, I don't know. It was funny. So you should look that up. Herbarium. Make sure it's dubbed in English. And I think it'll be enjoyable. And you'll find out how to make like various tinctures and uh, how to use like fennel to reduce your stress or some other kind of malarkey. I don't know. Like I was telling Kim, like I'm pretty sure if we knew that like, you know, in the monks in 100 AD were using this to like calm themselves down, I don't know. Maybe science would be telling us that nowadays if this actually worked. Uh, but who knows? Maybe big science is holding back the herbs. There's no profit in herbs. Uh, so maybe it's, it's valuable. Well, anyways, this has been another exciting of software-defined talk. If you want to get the uh, show notes for this episode, uh, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 163. You can see all of our past episodes there where uh, I'm not in a strange mood and I just talk about scorecards. We actually go over uh, the news. And uh, you should join our Slack channel, which you can find there. There's always lots of conversation going on there. We're also uh, in Instagram. I, I, I don't think we really know why. But it's it's fun to like be in there and post pictures and, and see what happens. But uh, that, that's 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 about all we got this episode. How hey, how's your uh, how's your quick call thing going? You got any updates for us, Brandon? I don't. I just want everyone to download and try it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So now more users, more users is better. Yeah, you can you can zoom into your WebEx with auto dial. <laughs> that should be the tagline. <laughs> zoom into your WebEx. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. Say bye.
see, she only talks when like, come on, you gotta say goodbye. Bye, bye, daddy. All right, there you go. What's up? This is Tajay of the Mighty Souls of Mischief Crew. I'm chilling with my man Festo, my man A Plus, and my man Oh, you know he's dope. And right now, you know, we're just maxing in the studio. We're hailing from East Oakland, California, and um, sometimes it gets a little hectic out there. But right now, you know, we're going to up you on how we just chill. Dial of seven digits, call up Bridget, her man's a midget. Plus, she got friends, yo, I can dig it. Here's a 40 swigging, you know it's frigid. I got him chilling in the cooler, break out the ruler. Greenbacks and stacks don't even act. Who got the facts? Stacks, we can max pumping that track. It's
Bridge, you know we used to chillin' Hey, yo, man, 